So we're going to continue on today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through to 20 is our main scripture. This has been our anchor scripture. Uh, this is the scripture that has uh, kept us and is keeping us focused during this entire series. And it says this, Paul the Apostle writing, it says, From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. And this has really been the central part of, of this series. Paul writes this, he says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Man, what an amazing scripture that has really fueled this idea uh, that we've been looking at in this series, Lines in the Sand. And so I want to continue on today with this thought uh, from a really important piece of scripture that has really kind of uh, grabbed a hold of my heart over these past few weeks and I want to dig in today. So we're going to move from Corinthians now to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. A lot of scripture to set us up today so that uh, so they understand in, in, in total where we are going. So Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 reads like this. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Seems simple enough. So Jesus says, You've answered correctly, he told them. Do this and you will live. This is where everything turns all of a sudden. Verse 29 says, But wanting to justify himself... Come on, somebody. How many times have we done that before? Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What a powerful question. A question that really, in, in, in many ways, exposes this person's heart. Who is my neighbor? So Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. So they stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took up he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you from whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Today, as we continue on in this collection of talks we're calling Lines in the Sand, I want to speak to you from the subject, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. As we look at facing the issues in the world that we are ultimately called to face, will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this moment. We thank you that your word is alive and it's active and sharper than a two-edged sword, that it has the ability to transform us and to change us from the inside out. And so God, right now, I pray that your word would illuminate 
our hearts, that it would illuminate our minds. God, that you would work in us and you would speak to us right now in this moment, in this time, for such a time as this, God. May your word come alive in this moment. May they be your words, not, not my words. Speak to us. Our, our ears are listening and our heart is ready to receive from you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shout it online. You shouted amen and amen. You know, uh, obviously this has been the theme for a lot of us right now, being cooped up in the house. And so one of the things that we, my, my wife uh, and I had to get straight pretty quick was getting the kids to do chores. Come on somebody. Getting the kids to do chores. They're at that age now, especially our older ones, where they can start doing what we need them to do in the house. So we've been getting them into doing the dishes and uh, cleaning up after the dog. And Shiloh, she'll go in and she'll help clean Eliana's room, her younger sister. And, and so they're doing things, and some of the things that they do earn them money. And they can spend that money on whatever they want. And, and other things that they, that they do, it doesn't earn them money. It's what they have to do being a part of the house. There are certain things they need to do because they are a contributor to the house. And and one of the things that we've started to to notice, a common kickback that we're hearing a lot in our house right now is, that's not my mess. Those are not my dishes. That's not my problem. There seems to be at times a distancing from the thing that they need to do as they assess the situation and decide in that moment that they don't have to have any part of it because it's not their problem. It's not their mess. It's not their dishes. It's not their room. It's not their problem. The problem with that's not my problem is that problems never get fixed. Let me say that one more time. The problem with that's not my problem is that the problems never get fixed. And I think it is true in the household. I think it's true for the world that we're living in. There is great simplicity to this parable that Jesus offers us as well as great complexity. The complexity is not because it's hard for us to understand what he's saying. Rather, quite the opposite. It tends to be hard to live out. At the end of the day, the the story that Jesus tells, like, go help somebody who's been beaten up and placed on the side of the road to die. You would think that that would be an easy concept for most people to grab a hold of. But by way of Jesus' story, by way of Jesus' parable, he offers to us, he suggests to us that possibly having compassion on somebody else who is in a broken position is actually complicated for the human heart. The problem with that's not my problem is that problems never get fixed. And that's what I really want to deal with today. Is that we have to take up the mantle of reconciliation. That's what we've been talking about in this series. And we have to realize that the problems that we are facing in the world right now are our problems. They are for us to fix, that is what Jesus has given us. He has given us the opportunity to say, hey listen, not on my watch, not on this moment, not in this generation, we have got to do better, we have got to do bigger, we have to fix some things. I mean, isn't this what we're seeing play out today? As much as we've seen it play out for a millennia is that we have a tendency as humans to avoid situations Really so that we can just keep our lives in structured order? So this parable that Jesus tells is telling. I mean the question that the expert in the law asks is telling in and of itself. Who 
is my neighbor? This question the Bible tells us he asked in order to justify himself. Why? Well, because there were many lines in the sand that had been drawn when it came to who neighbors were. We can make the assumption that by way of the question, this gentleman already had in his mind things that he had done or not done to certain people. And so he had to ask Jesus in that moment, well, who really is my neighbor? Because if I understand who my neighbor is and who my neighbor isn't, then I can justify the way that I've engaged with that person. I can say, well, it's fine that I've treated a person like this because, well, they're not technically my neighbor, but on this side of the, of the fence, I, I have to treat them differently because they are my neighbor. So who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? The parable of Jesus, the parable Jesus tells us was a specific answer to what would seem like a generic question until you look into the details of the parable. I mean, it really seems harmless at the end of the day. If you think about it, the way that Jesus has this question asking, well, who's my neighbor? Right? But there was so much more behind this question. There was so much more behind this line of thinking. As the author of the New Bible Commentary puts it, Jesus does not supply information as to whom one should help. Failure to keep the commandment springs not from lack of information, but lack of love. It was not fresh knowledge that the lawyer needed, but a new heart. In plain English, he needed conversion. See, Jesus had this uncanny way of going at the heart of, of people, and that's what was happening really in this moment, is that Jesus was saying, listen, you're asking a question, but your question is exposing your heart. You ever had that happen to you before? You ever had that moment where you asked the question, and when you asked the question, you, said, like, you thought to yourself, oh, I just exposed myself. I just, I just actually, through my question, said what was in my heart. I actually said what I was really thinking. And when it comes to the lines and the sand that we are facing today, you, you draw them out. You fill in the blanks. The issue is not so much with our actions as it is about our heart. We have to remember that our heart directs our mouth. Come on, somebody. Our heart directs our actions. It sets the course and the flow of our lives. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 tells us this when, when we read, Guard your heart. Guard it. Keep it above all else. For it's actually the source of life. That, that's a big piece of scripture. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says this, a good person produces good out of the good stored up where? In his heart. An evil person, evil out of the evil stored up in his heart for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So Jesus is telling us, listen, your heart directs everything. Your heart is the, is the source. And when the source is broken, when the source is marred, when the source is dysfunctional, when the source has some things going on inside of it, then our actions and our response and our thought processing and the things that we do in life are gonna be a little bit broken in nature. And so we need some stuff to happen inside of us. It's ultimately the grace of Jesus. Here's the truth. Where there is a heart issue, we will always have an action issue. Let me say that one more time. Where there is a heart issue, we will always have an action issue. This is what the parable addresses at the end of the day. It's not simply that 
two out of three men didn't want to cross the road. It wasn't that we were assessing that Jesus was assessing actions. What he was assessing was heart. Let me say it this way. Where there's a heart issue, we will always have a compassion issue. Come on, can we be honest in church today? Where there's a heart issue, we will always have a compassion issue. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot of right now. We're seeing heart issues. I'm seeing heart issues on Facebook. I'm seeing heart issues on Twitter. I'm seeing heart issues on Instagram. I'm seeing heart issues in our workplaces. I'm seeing heart issues in our families. I'm seeing heart issues in our church. And I just want to submit to us today that, that, that compassion is the product of a heart that's been set ablaze by Jesus. Compassion, my ability to look at others and see them in the situation, in the circumstance that, that they are in, that compassion comes from a heart that's been connected to the Father's heart. And there's so many issues that we're talking about right now. We're, 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 I mean, from the range, I mean, think about it, racial reconciliation, all the way down to those who are impoverished, like all across the world, and those of us who kind of sit back sometimes and we, we don't try to engage in fixing it because really at the end of the day, it's not my problem. But what we're being offered here is another way. We're being offered to engage in fixing things because those who assume the mantle and ministry of reconciliation have made the decision that we're gonna try to fix some things. And so what I wanna do with the remainder of our time today is, is I wanna look at, at this parable from, a, from maybe a different perspective than what maybe you've read it from, if you've read it before. This parable highlights three main characters. I wanna, I wanna look at each of them today and, and deal with some of the things that keep us from the ministry of reconciliation by way of what we see in these, in these three characters. What it looks like to cross the road to help our neighbor. So I want you to comment, I want you to stay engaged today. Throw some amens into the comment section. But here we go. I want to look at three main characters, the three main characters in this, in this parable, and then we're going to extract some, some understanding from them. Here's the first one. The first one is the priest. And the priest represents religious apathy. The priest represents religious apathy. See, to use the depiction of a priest was to speak very contextually to his audience as they would have known and had a very specific picture as to who this person would be that Jesus was talking about. As well as they may think and, and know the process that this person would have had going on in their mind. Upon arriving to this situation, this, this person beaten on the other side of the road, left for dead. A very real situation that was actually pretty common in this time. And so Jesus first offers us the picture of this, this priest. Listen to how the New American Commentary helps us with this understanding. Understanding the backdrop and the position of this priest. Watch, listen to what, what it says. As a descendant of Aaron, involved in the sacrifices and maintenance of the temple, as well as in various purification rites, a priest could not defile, listen to this, could not defile himself by contact with the dead, except in the case of a close relative. In other words, please hear this today, the priest was more concerned about his religious piety rather than transformative engagement. 
He was more concerned about what he shouldn't touch than actually getting involved and picking somebody up who had been beaten and left for dead. Actually engaged in helping somebody. He was more concerned about this religious spectrum that he had to stay in instead of engaging in such a way that would actually be the ministry of reconciliation. And too often we hide behind our religious statements and decorum, our pedigree and our appearance to excuse our lack of engagement in the world around us. It's not my problem. See, for the, for the priest to be worried about his defile, defilement was a greater indictment upon his life than the one needing help. Let me ask us a question today. If I can be your pastor today, is it possible that our religious apathy is the product of our fear rather than our faith? Is it possible that we are afraid to go into all the world as Jesus called us to do because we fear the world more than we believe we can change it? I just wanna ask us a question today. The Bible exposition commentary tells us this, and this is really important for understanding even the, the topography of the area that, that this parable is, is highlighting for us. Listen to what it says. The road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was indeed a dangerous one. Since the temple workers used it so much, this is, this is so amazing and so telling. You would have thought the Jews or the Romans would have taken steps to make it safe. Commentary goes on to say this. The writer goes on to say this very pointed truth. It is much easier to maintain a religious system than it is to improve the neighborhood. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, listen, the priest was more concerned about the system that he had to maintain rather than saying, wait a second, we need to, we need to mess with some things in this moment and we need to improve the neighborhood. We need to bring the gospel into the neighborhood. We need to bring the gospel into the places that it needs to be. He was too busy ignoring the neighborhood so he could get the system on track. And so the priest represents religious Apathy, see our religious apathy needs to turn into faith-filled passion that causes us to see the lines in the sand and the roads that separate us and divide us and that passion should push us towards each other rather than away from each other. Here's my, here's my heart this morning, church, and I hope you hear this today, is the gospel needs to get into the neighborhood. You know what's interesting is, Erica and I have spent a lot of time, as well as our, our pastoral team and staff, we've been talking a lot about this issue, and it's, it's interesting to me that over many, many, many weeks now, months now, we've found ourselves not in the church, the four walls of the church, but very much outside of the church. It's almost as if God hit pause on everything so that the gospel would get back into the neighborhood. And that's a scary notion for some of us. Let's just be very honest. It's a scary notion that things have changed. And for many of us, we are trying so hard to get back to normal, whatever normal is and whatever normal was. And I'm wondering if we've just paused for a moment, if we've stopped for a moment and said, God, how is it that you want us to see things now moving forward? Because we do not have an option anymore to maintain the status quo. The only option that we have right now is to get the gospel into the neighborhood, get the gospel into the highways and the byways and the places that the gospel is needed. 
And at the end of the day, the priest shows us what happens when we abdicate our responsibility to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. Because when we are in that place where the people that say, I will cross the road, I will cross whatever line I need to so I can help the person who's down. This is not a fairy tale notion. This is not a pie in the sky Reality, it's not something that we go, oh, that's nice to say in a message on Sunday. We actually have the opportunity to do this day in and day out, and it excites me. There's one thing that COVID has really done for us as a church. It has forced us out of the four walls of the church. And please, like, hear my heart. I'm not saying that having services on the weekend is, like, extremely bad, and we're not doing that anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying maybe we've gotten too trapped in the borders of our walls. When we need to cross the road. We had a worship night where the church got taken into the parking lot. And we're still hearing story after story after story. Like people saying, like, hey, like, my house was rattling. So I had to come over and see what was what was happening. You know, when services were happening in the building on Sundays, nobody's house rattled. I just find it interesting. I just find it telling. And I got to tell you that God's doing some new things in my heart. He's doing some new things in the way that I'm seeing stuff. And that's all it is right now. It's stuff. We're playing with it. We're trying to figure out. But here's what I can tell you. I'm asking God to breathe into this moment. Show us what he wants us to be. Show us how he how he needs us to be so that we can cross the road. Because the last thing I want to see myself as is the priest who engages in religious apathy. Here's the second character that we see. Second character is the Levite. And he represents imparted avoidance. Imparted avoidance, I'll explain that. Once again, the New American Commentary helps us understand who the Levite was. Check this out. The Levite was a descendant of Levi who assisted the priests. So the, the, the previous character that we just heard about, who assisted the priests in various sacrificial duties and uh, policing the temple but could not perform the actual sacrificial acts. So he was an, he was an understudy. The, the Levite would follow the priest around and understand what the priest was doing and see what the priest was, was doing. He would help support that. Right? The Levite was the product of what was passed down to him. The Levite was the product of what was modeled to him. I want you to hear this this morning because this is really, really important. What the future generation avoids is the product of what this generation ignores. Let me say that one more time. What the future generation avoids is the product of what this generation Ignores. We have to be the type of people that decide today that ignorance will not be a part of our legacy. The issues that our world is facing today may not be able to change in their totality right now, but we can work at it. And as we pass down new vision and bigger vision and bigger reality into our kids, then all of a sudden we see generational change. But what we avoid now, the next generation will ignore completely. Right now, I'm 37 years old. I ain't 40 yet. 37 years old. 
three kids. And even now, I've, I'm already starting to shift and, and, and think, like I'll find myself thinking, like what am I passing down to my kids? We sit at dinner. Most every night that we sit at dinner, right now my three-year-old, she starts it. Uh, we, have this, we have this tradition in our family when we sit down at dinner, we do this, we play this game called highs and lows. So we talk about our high from the day and the low from the day. And what's really, really cool is when we sit down, if all of a sudden, because we've done this enough and we've imparted it into our kids, if we skip a beat or if we, we miss praying at dinner or something like that, not from this like staunch religious perspective, but we've instituted it and we've, we've put it into our family. So our kids now, it's part of their operational reality. All of a sudden, my little three-year-old to say this, pray Jesus, pray Jesus, which means like, can we pray? So we all stop, we get back because we're moving and moving and moving and so we pray and then right after we get done praying, she goes, highs, lows? And then she starts asking the question, it's the funnest thing ever, she'll be like, Shiloh, what's your high? I don't even think she knows what highs and lows is, but she does understand it from the base reality that this is who our family is. And we do this because it's something that's been passed down from Erica and myself into our kids. And I hope one day as I'm sitting there as a grandparent and my kids have kids and one night we're sitting at dinner, I hope to hear from my grandchildren highs and lows, pray Jesus. Why? Because it's legacy. And I hope that right now in this moment in 2020 with the things that we are facing, I pray and I hope and I'm believing that as we take up the mantle of reconciliation that our kids will just start understanding, no, that's just the way it is. We are reconciling people. This is what mom and dad did. This is how we're gonna make it happen. And what was something that we had to really push ourselves into, our kids start doing naturally because it's a legacy. But the Levite, in this story represents imparted avoidance. Think about that, because the priest avoided it. Because that was their MO, that was the systematic way of doing things. The Levite, just, he just took course with it. What are we imparting? Legacy is not the product of money or security tangible resource. While it may be a part, legacy is truly seen in the way future generations live out their life mandate and call to take up the mantle in the ministry of reconciliation. See, what we begin to work on today can become a reality tomorrow and for generations to come. And I think that's what can happen so many times is that we, we, we actually get phased by what's in front of us. We look at people that are in poverty and without food and we go, man, it's such a big issue. And so what happens is we say, well, because it's so big, we're never gonna be able to fix it. You know what I love about the story when Jesus feeds the 5,000? Is that he was trying to get up onto a mountaintop to be by himself. The Bible says that he saw the crowds and upon seeing the crowds and upon seeing their position upon seeing the situation. The Bible says that he had compassion on him. Check this out. And the compassion that he had is what brought him off of the mountain in order to minister to the crowd. The compassion that he had on them was what caused him to feed them miraculously. I wonder if we miss many of the miracles that Jesus wants to do in our generation because we simply think it's not possible for something to be done. 
Jesus wants to feed 5,000 people. But we haven't come off the mountain because we don't have enough compassion. Can I be your pastor today? Can I challenge us today? We are in a new moment. We are in a moment in history that has never been. And we have the option before us right now to take up the mantle and the ministry of reconciliation and believe by a compassion that anything in Jesus is possible. Come on, church. Can I get an amen online this morning? Here's the third character. The third character is the Samaritan. This is where Jesus flips it upside down on everybody. So everybody listening to Jesus' story goes, oh yeah, the priest, we, we know the priest. Oh yeah, the, the Levite, we, we know the Levite. Then Jesus flips it because now all of a sudden they're, they're, they're going along a, a process and more than likely they were, they were thinking that Jesus, by way of some uh, scholars and commentaries, you could find out and you can discover that for many of them, at least contextually, more than likely they were thinking that the next person that Jesus was going to mention was going to be a Jew was gonna be somebody familiar to them. Jesus flips it, and now he, he, he disrupts their, their process of thinking, and he said, here's the third person in the story, the Samaritan. See, the Samaritan was the very person that they didn't like. The Samaritan was the person that they weren't supposed to be engaged in relationship with. The Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get along. There was divided realities between them. There were lines in the sand because of historicity and because of the things that had went down, because of moving around of, uh, of people and divided kingdoms and situations and circumstances. There was animosity between the two groups. Jesus would sit with a Samaritan woman at the well. We'll probably talk about that in this series. He would cross all lines, like, oh, Jesus, you crossed these lines, talking to a woman and let alone a woman who was a Samaritan. How dare you? All decorum had gone out the window. And so Jesus, what I love about Jesus, he always threw some zingers in there to like just mess with people's heads. He says, so then a Samaritan comes along. Now everybody at this moment is like, are you kidding me right now? You're gonna throw a Samaritan into this story? And then he takes the Samaritan and he makes the Samaritan the one who does over the priest and the Levite. That's just a kidney shot. Jesus uses the character of the Samaritan to drive home with potency his point. That point being that to love one's neighbor is to be the type of person that sees problems as their problems. I want you to hear this. We spend too much time trying to quantify and add up how much help we should give, how much engagement we should have, all while never actually doing anything because we are caught up making our own lines to live by. How far will I go? What line will I draw? I want you to hear this today. As long as we are drawing lines, we will never be able to lift burdens. As long as we are drawing lines, we will never be able to lift burdens. Galatians chapter six, verses two to three, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law 
of Christ. Well, what is that law? Well, we can read about it. John chapter 15, 12 through 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends, his neighbors. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. So whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give to you. This is my command to you, love one another. How is it that we have arrived at a place where we are now debating what love looks like as the church. It's interesting to me that lines have even been drawn in the sand as to what is love. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Like, what is love? We're asking these questions. As somehow this has become a profound question to ask. But it's not at the end of the day, we've been called to love one another, to lay down our life for our neighbors. And so the Samaritan, point number three, represents assumed responsibility. Resumed, assumed responsibility. Meaning that we have decided right now, in this moment, right now, that we're going to take up the mantle and we're actually going to do something. Now I know right now the tension is, well, what are we going to do? I don't know if you've ever seen Jungle Book, the cartoon, and the vultures, they're all talking to each other. Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? If you haven't seen that, go watch it. It's absolutely hilarious. It's one of my favorite. And they say it in an English accent. I don't know, what do you want to do? Like, it's great, great comedy, for me at least. And I I feel like in many moments, that's who we are. We're, We're standing at the edge of a line, and we're looking down here, and we're looking at, well, what do you want to do? I I don't know, what what do you want to do? And we spend all of our time asking the other people what it is that they want to do instead of doing what we've been asked to do. Love one another. Can I? <laughs> I wanna ask you a question. When was the last time that you sat and had coffee with somebody who was completely different from you and didn't say anything but just listen? When was the last time we lifted the burden of somebody who's going without, say, downtown, without it being a church-wide event? Listen, I ask myself these questions as, as well. When was the last time I stepped over the line first and went to the person that I've been offended by and said, hey, let's work this out? When was the last time we brought that coworker who we would much rather punch in the throat a coffee with no strings attached? 
I mean, we could do this all day long. When was the last time? And I think for a lot of us right now, especially, it's like we're struggling with this because we haven't been in the four walls of the church. And maybe that's because God is asking us to take church to our office place. Come on, let's have a praise party in the break room. How do you do that? Well, why don't you grab somebody? High, low. Joe, go. High, low. And Joe in that moment has never been asked what his highs are or what his lows are. And so in that moment, in a moment of clarity, because you decided to say, I'm going to engage in this moment, you find out that Joe's had a few highs in his life, but right now he's experiencing some significant lows. And all of a sudden, because of Joe's lows, Joe has a moment where he looks at you with tears in his eyes and he says, can you pray with me? And all of a sudden, the revival that we've been praying for in our services sitting in rows is the revival that's been taken to our workplace. It's a revival that's right next to the water station. See, we're praying for all of these things, but at the end of the day, Jesus is asking us to step over the line. And a simple question, high, low, go, leads us to revival in the very places that revival is supposed to be. Sat in that parking lot a few weeks ago and I watched people worshiping and people driving by. Their windows rolled down. People that would never step foot into the, the doors of our church and stick around the entire time. And I just, I just wonder if we have a moment in front of us right now to say, you know what, that is my problem. That's my problem. I'm gonna fix that problem. Then to say, well, the, the neighbors, that's, the, there's stuff, that's, that's not my problem. I got my own things that I gotta worry about. No, I'm gonna step across the line of the lawn <laughs> and go make a new friend. I find it interesting that it was the Pharisees that leveled accusations against Jesus as he sat with the very people they called problems. Lines in the sand. Here we are, a couple weeks into this series, this is big content, it's heavy stuff, it's stuff that we have to grapple with. And my prayer is this, is that through this series, as we continue on, that we will be the type of people that decide in this moment right now, we are going to pick up the mantle of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, and begin to erase the lines in the sand.